You're listening to the Padawan's Perspective, your multi-generational podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Herleman, and joining me today, we have my daughter, Taylor Jade. Hello. And that's about it. Everyone else is out on assignment right now. Uh, Gavin will be joining us a little bit later as we go into an interview with Chris Kennett on his new little golden book. Uh, That'll be exciting to talk about. But first, we're going to do a quick touching on The Last Jedi. Taylor and I, we've uh, managed to see it a couple times now. In fact, we've got the digital uh, copy at the house now. We've had a chance to watch that at home now. Tay, what are your overall first impressions of The Last Jedi? I thought the movie was really good and everything, and at first, like, when it jump, kind of just jumps into the battle scene, it was like, oh, okay, we're just jumping right into this. It just take, took, it takes me a moment to, like, process what's happening. Because it just jumped right in. Yeah. Now, before we saw this, you were really worried that Ray was going to go dark side. Were you, were you happy with what we got with Ray's story in this? Was it unexpected? Were you left wanting more? When it comes to Ray, where did you fall? Um, I'm not 100% sure about that because I liked how they, like, mixed it up with that. But at the same time, I'm also really disappointed that they didn't come in with the Bendu because they led everything into leading that with the Bendu and then didn't bring him in at all. So you were you were ready for the Bendu to show up, huh? Oh, yeah, big time. Okay, okay. Now, I, for one, I was surprised at how quickly I fell into what they call the shipper's camp. Um, I I wasn't expecting to want Kylo Ren and Rey to hook up at any form or fashion, but watching this film, I was blown away that by the time we get to the throne room and we have the moment where they're each reaching out to each other, I was ready for them to be a team. Like I, The movie itself pushed me in that direction. I wasn't expecting to go that way. But I grabbed a ticket, I strapped in, and I was ready for them to punch the hyperspace. I was ready for the ride. Yeah, me too. Especially, like you were saying stuff, when they were in the room and everything, and they were about to touch hands, and then I think Luke walked in on them. I was totally like, oh, what's going to happen? And like, was waiting for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the one upside. Now, if if you guys haven't had a chance to get the, your hands on a digital copy or the DVD or Blu-ray now that it's out, I highly recommend you check out online, see if you can find some of the deleted scenes and stuff. We have saw some really cool scenes that could have been in there, should have been in there, debatable as to whether or not you feel one way or the other on that. But they were awesome looking scenes. I think, you know, overall, Ryan Johnson did a really good job with this film. I think the thing that really throws me off, though, the thing I wasn't prepared for was the overlapping nature of this movie. You know, it kind of starts out and we're kind of still in the middle of the end of the last one. And then where it ends and stuff, you know, you take into consideration that this is movie two of three movies and it's all going to wrap up in the next movie. And those first two were basically like a part one and part two. You know, think about A New Hope, and then you've got Empire Strikes Back. There was like a two, almost three-year gap between those movies for the story arc. It wasn't like Luke just literally blew up the Death Star, and then we're finding out where he went next. It was like, okay, what did Luke do during that time away? We didn't have that with this one. So I, I keep thinking about, you know... You think about what happened with Carrie Fisher. You know, she passed away when they were just finishing up with the filming. So they're not going to have her in their arsenal of actors for this next film. So will they make the safe bet and jump forward in the timeline now and we'll see a bigger jump? Or do you think it's going to be one of those where they keep it condensed and we're probably going to pick up almost right where we left off before? Well, 
with you saying that and everything, it also brings up how Luke kind of just vanished and became, like, a presence of energy. They didn't specify where he went or anything like that. It, he kind of just disappeared and everything. So, possibly he's, one, like, one with the Force now and is just with the energy and everything. Like, the um, person who creates Star Wars, one of the guys. Mr. Lucas? No, somebody... Okay, so we were watching the, like, deleted scenes and everything, and the guy was saying how he didn't create the Force and everything to be a superpower and everything. It's supposed to be, like, this energy between good and evil and stuff like that. Maybe Luke went, like, became that, or, like, went with that in, mm-hmm. a, in a way. Now, the terms they've thrown around in the past were the cosmic force, the greater force, and uh, legends would call it the unifying force. Um, I, I think... When it comes to Luke, I think that we're not done with Luke. I think we will probably see a Force ghost or a Force projection of Luke in some form or fashion. Yeah. I think, though, for me, I think at first I was concerned that they were going to put this right on the heels of the last two and that it wouldn't feel like a solid conclusion. I mean, it seems like this movie, in the last one, the First Order was the big threat, but by the time this is over, the ball's really in Kylo Ren's court. Like, the First Order threat's still there, but only if Kylo decides to order them to still be a threat. So really, it's Kylo at this moment that is the big threat himself, not so much the First Order. And when I think about, you know, how are they going to wrap that up, I really kind of feel like they got to push it out. And then you think about the aspect of Carrie Fisher being gone and what are they going to do with Leia's character? Now, if you move this movie out like five years, right, say we push it out and we say that the next one happens five years later, you could have had Leia's character pass away during an event or, or peacefully in her own sleep. I mean, you could, you could have that narrative happen between the films and that's already over with. You could have that mentioned in the, in the opening crawl. Uh, you know, Jedi master Luke is gone. General Organa, she has passed on and it's been three years since she passed on or something like this. Five years since Luke passed on and they could pick up from there. And that would also give them the opportunity for say like Poe who looked to be the next leader we could find out Poe is full on the leader at this point, and he's been leading for a couple years, and we have to get caught up on the new status quo. Um, you know, I think about like uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., how they reinvented themselves in that regard. They could do that with a time jump. So I think that that's a really cool opportunity. But getting back to the movie itself here, what did you think of Luke Skywalker? I mean, this is definitely a different Luke than the Luke that I have talked to you about, the Legends Luke, where he was just a huge superhero, the immovable object, the the ultimate badass, if it were. This Luke is a flawed Luke. What did you think of that? It was weird and kind of hard for me to, like, watch him be not so much rude or mean, but, like, Kind of, in a way, disrespectful, but also at the same time not. I mean, he had his points. He had, he was trying to do what he believed in and everything like that, but it was like it was a sense of him giving up and that there's no point in chance to save anything anymore. And so Ray was trying to like help and everything, but it, he was just done. He didn't want to do anything. So, yeah, he had a, a heavy hand of snark, you would almost say, with yeah. his comments. Now, one of the things I had read was saying how Ryan Johnson looked at the interaction between Yoda uh, and Kenobi and Luke on Dagobah back when Luke was sensing Leia and Han being tortured and he wanted to rush to go and help them and they were urging him not to do it. And it's interesting because 
it seems like Luke learned the wrong lesson from that because back in the day, yeah, Luke rushed off. He got hurt and stuff. But in the overall end of things, it helped push Luke to a position where he was able to forgive his father and redeem his father. Had Luke done what they said back then, we wouldn't have got the end all be all that we got in Return of the Jedi. Luke would have done. He would have learned a different lesson and it wouldn't have gone the way we went. And I keep thinking that that is almost a mistake for Luke to have come back to that, to thinking that if I rush out to help him, I'm going to create problems and make more problems. And I want to say it was the deleted scene with the caretakers that really illustrated that. I kind of yeah. wish they would have left that scene in there because he force projects a raid on the village and Ray is ready to go down there. I mean, she is, is ready to move. And the first thing he says is, well, are you going to still be here in a month's time when they come back with twice as many because you put up a fight? And this is something that was kind of in the background of a lot of the legend stories about the ends justifying the means. And a lot of the time, the Jedi would, they wouldn't take that route. If the ends justified the means, well, it was all about how you got there. The ends didn't justify the means. If you used fear or the dark side to get a light side, you know, result, you were still being tainted by the dark side. So therefore, the ends did not justify the means because you were putting yourself at risk. And on that hand, I kind of respect what they did with Luke, because I remember in Legends and the story there, when Luke's wife died, he was hesitant to go after the murder of his wife because he was afraid it was going to push him towards the dark side. That's a logical assumption there when you're dealing with the Jedi and stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. But what did you think about the fact that, that the Jedi Order is not necessarily what we thought once before, but it is more like what they said in the uh, the Death Star conference room when they said... That ancient religion is no more. I mean, Luke flat out calls it a religion now. It, to all intents and purposes, the Jedi are a religion. Are you okay with us walking away from that, that we've just now called it a religion and therefore Luke felt it needed to come down and everyone else felt it needed to come down, so the Jedi are going to be something else? They won't be called Jedi? Or, or are you connected to that name like your father is? <laughs> I'm more of connected with it. I mean, like... If they really wanted to cut it off, they wouldn't have that little kid at the end with mm -hmm. the ring. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they're, what Ryan Johnson's trying to get at is that there are still going to be Force users, but they won't be quote-unquote Jedi. Think of it like Ahsoka Tano, right? Ahsoka calls herself not a Jedi. Now, I have argued that she's still a Jedi, whether she chooses to call herself one or not. She's learned all the principles of a Jedi, the morals of a Jedi. She acts like a Jedi would act. To me, it's the walks like a duck, talks like a duck... It's a duck. And yet for Ahsoka, she feels like because she's not part of that order that she's not actually a Jedi. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's like that. Like, I, I kind of feel like they need to keep the term Jedi. But if Rey's not a Jedi and she's just a Force user, does that lessen her because she's not quote unquote a Jedi? Or does it really not make as big a difference as I'm making it? I feel like if she's just a Force user, more people will be like... I feel like they'll more people will be able to connect with the Force and everything, and it's not, like, as a greater title as a Jedi. Like, when you're a Jedi, you're, like, in a way, like a hero. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you say Force user and everything, it's not the same. I have no idea how to explain it. No, 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 that makes sense. Cause, so, basically, the doctrine of the Jedi already pushes them towards the light side of things, which some would argue may put them out of balance... But it's definitely putting them on the light side of things. They're not tempted by the evil. Now, if you just say, oh, well, I'm a force user, 
all the darkness that could come with that, the anger, the the feeling of revenge, remorse. Well, yeah, because, like, if you say you're a Force user, you're technically not verifying if you're, like, with the Sith or with the Jedi and everything. And, like, I mean, the Sith still use the Force, mm-hmm. so it's, like, not... It's not just only the Jedi's, like... Thing slash mojo. <laughs> well, I mean, Snoke was considered a Force user. He wasn't a Sith or a Jedi. Maz Kanata, she was a Force user. Technically, if if the Bendu would have just called himself a Force user instead of saying I'm in the middle, he, that that would have took a lot of the mystery out of him. But he defined himself by saying he was in the middle, which made you feel like, oh, hey, there's a gray Jedi area out here, right? We got a middle ground. Which I guess I think that's probably what Dave Filoni was getting at by calling the Bendu the one in the middle. Hmm. It's definitely something to think about in that regard. Now, let's talk about Rose real quick. Rose and Finn, their story. Um, Some people have felt that that part of the story was pointless. Some really enjoyed it. Uh, I, myself, I've had a chance to read Bomber Command and Cobalt Squadron, which gives us a backstory on the sisters. So when we get to the beginning scene and we watch uh, the... uh, cobalt squadron go up in flames basically there's a lot more emotional impact if you've read that you have more insight about the relationship between rose and Paige. uh but since you haven't what did you think of those sisters and their connection and then rose's connection with finn and where the story went i feel like once you've seen the whole movie it makes a lot more sense than just jumping into it and stuff because when like it first started playing and everything i was really confused like i said in uh previously but like Seeing the necklace and then seeing her sister have the necklace, it all kind of started putting pieces together. And once then, like, Finn was trying to escape and, um, was it Rose or? Yeah, Rose was the one with Finn. And when Rose was all like, oh, you're trying to abandon it. Like, you're trying to leave and stuff. It kind of, like, it created, like, a sort of chemistry between them and everything, which then kept on, like, progressing and then leading on into the story. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. I liked it too. And plus, it gives us more characters than the the principal core group they gave us. Yeah. I think for me, as a fan of Legends, moving forward into this new era with this sequel trilogy, the hardest thing for me was getting over my perception of who these characters should be because of what I knew from Legends. So while I didn't care so much for the Han, Luke, and Leia story that's being told so far, I really got a lot more payout out of Finn's, Rey's, Kylo Ren even, and Poe Dameron's stories. Like I, In the first movie, I wasn't really as sold on them. Like It was like, okay, I want to see where they go. But after this one, I'm in their camp. Like I am, I'm ready to see them take the torch and move forward in whatever direction it'll be. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so I think with about that, that that'll touch on our quick, quick cover up, our quick coverage here of uh, the Last Jedi. We will talk more in depth with it with uh, once Gavin and Barrett and Pharaoh get in here and we get the whole Padawan's perspective back together here. Uh, but in the meantime, though, Gavin will be joining us here as we get into that conversation, that interview with uh, good old Chris Kennett. And with that, let's take it away. Today we're joined via hollow transmission by Chris Kennett. Chris originally hails from Cattenbury, England, and now resides in beautiful, sunny Australia. Back in 2000, he started making animated greeting cards and started working with animation. When his own younglings started learning basic, he drew alphabet monsters to help encourage his Padawan to learn. Those drawings eventually developed into his first book, Alpha Monsters. Now, with no formal Jedi training, the self-taught artist credits Nickelodeon's animated series Ren and Stimpy as one of his big inspirations. He has produced art for many books and television productions, and his art is one of the signature styles of the Star Wars Little Golden Book series. 
I am a stormtrooper, I am a droid, I am a Sith, and everything I need to know I learned from Star Wars. Today we'll be discussing his newest Star Wars big golden book, Aliens, Creatures, and Beasts. Please welcome Honorary Jedi Master Chris Kennett to the show, younglings and Padawans. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's a lovely sunny day here in Australia. <laughs> so this well, is my daughter Taylor and my son Gavin, just so you know exactly who you're talking to here. Hi, Taylor and Gavin. We sound pretty much the same over uh, electronics sometimes, so I apologize. <laughs> yeah, That's cool. Right. So with that, let's go ahead and jump in. Tay, I believe you got the first question here for us. Yes. So are you a fan of Star Wars? And if so, what story resonates with you the most? Well, first of all, yes, I am a big Star Wars fan. I was born in 75, so I was uh, only two when the first movie actually came out. So I was probably a little bit young for for it uh, back then. But when I reached about five or six, um, Star Wars was played you know, really heavily on TV uh, in the UK. So I remember just watching Star Wars over and over again. I think we, we even um, VHS taped it over um, from the from the television and I just watch it over and over again. And the first movie I ever saw in the, in the big theater, if you like, was, um, return of the Jedi. Uh, so that was, that was actually kind of weird. There's a, cause I actually skipped empire strikes back. Oh, so it was, it was kind of odd. Yeah. Cause empire, I, what, what was that? 1980 yeah, empire strikes back. Yeah. Yeah. 80 in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was still too young to, to, um, yeah, I was probably four four or five. Um, so I was probably still too young to actually go to the movies to see it. So while I had been watched, had sort of seen Star Wars, I hadn't seen Empire and Jedi was the first one I saw. So I missed the whole reveal, the whole I am your father thing that, you know, that was completely lost to me. So when I, when we jumped into Jedi, I was like, what, what's going on? (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of um, my first introduction, and you know, I was kind of hooked like most kids were back, you know, back then in the early eighties and seventies, because you know we we weren't so spoiled as we are today with with so many movies um, and franchises on te- on uh, movies and Blu-rays and Netflix. You can watch whatever you want, really. Mm-hmm. So Star Star Wars was it it for me. And in I terms of issue with that, with uh, teaching my kids Star Wars, it's like, where do I jump them in? Do I go right from the beginning or, or you know, jump them in on the newest yeah. movie to come out? Right. What did you decide? Well, I, I just went for it. I just went with the first one and went one, two, three. But I, even one, two, then, three. like, yeah. they don't remember much of what they watch. Like, I, Gavin, what was your first, when you think about your first experience with Star Wars, what comes to your mind? The Clone Wars. The Clone Wars. Yeah. And that, and that's his yeah. jam. Like for him, that's his bread and butter. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Yeah, whatever you whatever you grow up with, what whatever your first introduction is, that that's it for you, isn't it? Like that's what that's what means the most to you. Um, so you didn't. So when Empire came along, and you got that big um, Darth Vader moment, Darth Vader Luke, um, you you kind of missed out on that surprise, I guess. Mm-hmm. Did you like the the original trilogy for us? That was that was a huge reveal. But I guess if you've grown up with with the Clone Wars, it's like, ah, okay, yep, we knew that. I did. You, it took you a while to process that Vader was Anakin, right? Like, how did you feel about that? Did was that something that was readily apparent to you? 
Because you've always been a fan of Anakin in the Clone Wars. But what about Anakin come Empire Strikes Back? That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing for me and stuff, it was the matter of, yeah... Uh, Anakin was Darth Vader and everything. It was weird seeing Anakin as a good guy. <laughs> that was the weird right. part. Ah, yeah. And what about for you, Chris? I mean, when you, I mean, you saw the Ewoks and everything first before you got to see that. Was it just completely confusing, or were you able to kind of just jump on the bike and ride along? I think, um, yeah. Once, once I sort of twigged that okay, that Darth Vader was his father, and that you know, I'd missed the whole Luke uh, Jedi training stuff as well. Um, on on Dagobah with Yoda, um, so all of a sudden he just walks into Jabba's palace with his robes on, and um, he can do Jedi tricks. I'm like, oh wow, what this? What's happened? <laughs> what have I missed? <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I wanted to watch Empire as soon as I as I got out there there, but I still I still loved it, and and for the for the longest time Jedi was my favorite because it was that first movie. I I got that first movie um, experience, if you like. Nice. So yeah, so you know, I loved I loved it all. You know, all, all the Jim Henson puppets and Muppets. Mm. That was all, that was all really good. And that, I was probably eight when that came out, so I was right in, in that pocket. And you know, it was it was um, it was a good time. But then um, after that, Empire became my favorite. Oh, nice! Just after, I guess, after missing out and then seeing that sort of all that connective tissue, if you like, that the. the that bound the both the bookend movies together. I was like, okay, this is this is cool. Yeah. No, I, I was a big fan of the Muppets too. Salacious Crumb is one of my favorites. In fact, you're uh, you captured yeah. Salacious Crumb brilliantly later on in your book too. Now, Gabby, thank you. Uh, he's got another question for you. What is the difference between the Star Wars Little Golden Books versus Star Wars Big Golden Books? Well, um, as the name suggests, they are bigger in in almost every way. They're bigger in size, uh, they're bigger in length, um, and text as well. There's there's much more text than there is in um, in the little golden books. Um, the little golden books are quite sort of um, not simple, but they're they're simply written and um, easy to understand. These big golden books go into a little bit more um, detail, I guess about the the universe and um who inhabits um the world um yeah i, I actually really 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 like them i, th- I think they're the, the paper quality is actually a little bit better but um the little golden books are quite porous if that makes sense they're they're sort of a bit rough the pages are a bit rough um so they absorb a lot of the ink and um, the big golden books are nice and glossy, so the ink actually sits nicely. The, the illustrations actually look quite nice um, sitting on the on the page. Um, yeah, and they're nicely bound. They've got nice, strong, hard covers. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the main differences, I think. And you get you just get a lot more freedom to play around um, in the illustrations themselves because you've got you know twice as much um, page space in which to just cram things on there which is which is really fun all the eye candy see our our youngest padawan their little sister she's six so we figured both the little and the big books would be right up her alley mm. yeah absolutely that's that's right in the money yeah okay uh so what all does making a book like aliens creatures and beasts entail for you 
Um, well, the, the the process, I guess, it all begins with a, with the script, obviously, or the manuscript. Um, in in publishing terms, it's called a manuscript. So I get sent that just as a as a word document or a um, yeah, just a text based document, and they they um, outline everything that's going to um, be said in the book, and they even break it down for me page by page. So they say on page one, we want um, you know. A Moss Eisley um, image, and that's going to go across two pages. They don't give me any more information than that. That's just that's my jumping off point, if you like. Um, and they do that for every single page, whether it's going to be a single page or a double page. And then from there, it's it's really kind of up to me um, where I go with it. My, my first step is I do very very rough thumbnail drawings, um, which are basically really simple. Um, sketches and I don't I don't sort of spend too much time on them I just get the ideas down really really quickly I think about where the text is going to go and I basically map out the entire book like that and that's what I send off to Random House um, who um, are the publishers and so they look at that and they sort of get a sense of um, the flow of the book and where things are going to sit and how much space i allowed actually on my website plug plug um just chriskennett.com i've actually got a few of the um thumbnail sheets from previous books from the little golden books um up on there and you can see um how how rough they are and sometimes how much they change between you know the early stages and the final stages sometimes i get it right first time um sometimes i don't so and and that's a good place to start because you don't want to jump straight in and do this amazing immaculate detailed drawing and then have them turn around and say actually that's not quite what we're looking for Mm -hmm. so so i keep it really really rough to begin with and they can see beyond the scribble um and just enough to be able to say okay let's move ahead to the next step and then the next step uh, would be what they would call um tighter roughs or a clean rough in which i sort of explore the characters a little bit more put in a lot more detail um so just so they can see um you know individual characters and pick out likenesses and things like that and that can go back and forth a couple of times actually you know if if the likeness isn't quite right um you know they say can we just tweak this guy here sometimes as before i might get it right first time uh which is kind of rare but that's all part of the process. So I don't really take that, that personally. It's not, it's not a criticism in, in that sense. It's just a sort of a, let's just, um, improve this here, tweak that there, get rid of that. That's not needed and so on. And so again, it's, sorry. Oh no, that that's awesome. In fact, this actually goes into the next question Gavin has for you in, in part of the character design. You have described your style of illustration as bright and cartoony, can you give our listeners a little insight into your method of adapting a Star Wars background character from the films in your art? Like Jabba the Hutt, for instance, you manage to make that vile hut gangster look downright cuddly. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that actually that does tie in quite well to that, to that sort of note-taking process that that does happen. My, my initial instincts, um, when drawing my own characters 
he used to do them really big and cartoony, big eyes, big heads, little bodies, and stuff like that. And again, on my website, I've there's um there's a little section in the Star Wars section where there's some early tests that I that I first did um, for Random House, and one of the first ones was um, Luke and Yoda on Dagobah, oh, nice. and it was really cartoony. Now, looking back at it now, I'm like, okay, that, I understand. I understand why you, you didn't want to go in that, that route. And so I had to really pair it back, even to the fact that, you know, the head's too big, so I'm just bringing it in, bringing it in all the time. And in terms of, um, you know, making them appealing, I think that's just just bringing your own sort of sense of um, design and, and, and personal taste into it as well. Um so it's it's not a conscious thing, but it's it's sort of it's just it just ends up that way if that if that makes sense. It's a little bit vague, but um, someone like Jabba the Hutt, I guess he he is sort of gross, but um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just my default hmm. mode that I just can't help it sometimes, just to make them cute and cuddly. <laughs> I had some favorite scenes. For instance, Padme glancing at Anakin during the arena scene and the looks on Jar Jar, Kenobi, and Master Jin's faces when the sea beasts attack. What was your favorite thing to illustrate in this book? Well, at the risk of repeating myself, uh, it's I think it was Jabba's um, palace um, because that, that was a scene that I didn't get to do in the original um, run of books. So... Um, when Random House first contacted me, they were doing the first um, six movies, as they were then. And um, I got to do Empire, which was awesome. And it was, um, you know, a dream come true for me. But there were still lots of scenes that I didn't get to do from the other movies. And I'm going, ah, oh, I didn't get to do that. I didn't get to do the, um, um, the cantina scene from A New Hope. And I didn't get to do, to do um, Jabba's Palace from Jedi. So even though I was really happy to be doing Empire, I didn't get to do those. But doing the big um, golden book of Aliens, Creatures and Beasts, I did get to do those scenes and they were really, really awesome and, and good fun for me to do. So Jabba's Palace is up there because I got to do lots of characters um, that I hadn't got to do, like Bib Fortuna and Salacious Crumb. And I got to stick Boba Fett again in the in the background and a character called Riyiz who was uh, – that three-eyed kind of looking um, guy. That's, yeah, yeah. So all all of those characters that I had as um, action figures too, growing up, um, uh, I got to do them and the Gamorian guards and or Gamorian guards. How do you how do you pronounce that? Yeah, yeah, Gamorian or Ga- yeah, Gamorian. That's how I always call them. But I, I usually yeah. say a lot of things wrong. So <laughs> yeah, who knows, right? The Sean from Psych. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we call them Gamorrean guards in the UK, but who knows? Yeah, but so that that was one of my favourite. And, of course, again, the, the cantina scene, doing all those sort of classic alien designs, um, that was really good fun. Yeah, you yeah. nailed that. And I loved your Salacious Crumb. I think, for me, there was the uh, Salacious Crumb, the Hoth. Like, so, so on our Star Wars Report podcast network, the second Airborne, we've got uh, the Wampus Lair. And I saw that picture and I was like, man, that would make a great image for their podcast. Like, I, <laughs> it was glorious, <laughs> just just beautifully done. Uh, now, oh, this book, you. 
This book contains some of the most iconic scenes from Star Wars. You know, you've got everything from Tatooine to Hoth. Do you feel any weight on your shoulders knowing that the art in these books will most likely be the first time new younglings and Padawans are seeing these scenes? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a huge, there's a huge weight on the on the shoulders. Not not just from from younglings and Padawans, but from you know old Jedi masters as well who who look over these things with very critical eyes <laughs> and um, <clears throat> being one of those sort of people myself I, I i'm very much um, aware of putting things in um that are accurate so you know i've got all of the you know the visual diaries um the visual dictionaries and, and things like that and the art books and oh, nice. uh, yeah, so I make sure I at least, you know, flick through them before I'm going to do somebody's costume, for example, you know, just make sure everything's just sitting in the right spot, you know, even where, where Han Solo's gun is holstered, you know, is it on his left side or his right side, you know, just little things yeah. like continuity, just just getting that, that stuff right. And um, so, yeah, yeah, extremely conscious of of um, the responsibility, if you like, of, of being allowed to work in this universe. You know, it's really it's quite privilege. Oh, absolutely. Now, Lucasfilm under George Lucas, they were notorious for saying no to authors and artists when they were creating content for Star Wars. Now, under Disney's ownership, we have the story group. They're in charge of most of these matters. Now, did you work with anyone from the story group, or was there something you wanted to add in the background that they were like, no, don't do that? Like the Yuzen Vong, for instance. I mean, that's something that's distinctly Legends that isn't in canon yet. So that wouldn't be something you'd see strolling around, you know, most Eisen mm. Cantina, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't work with the story group directly. I, so I worked with Random House, and they were, they were the sort of the go-between, if you like, between myself and um, Disney Lucas film. So um, if, if there are any notes or anything like that, it would come via Random House. So, you know, they, they may have softened some of the comments and critiques before they made their way to me. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so n no direct involvement. In, in terms of actually um, getting rid of anything that I put forward, generally it was pretty much everything was, was – um, up, up for grabs, if you like. It, everything was was okay. The the only one, and and I also self um, edited uh, and self censored myself quite a bit too throughout the process because I just knew that there would be some things that wouldn't get through. Uh -huh. And um, a, a good example, I suppose, is um, in the Empire book um, when Luke loses a hand. Obviously, you can't show that. Um, yeah. happening and you, you know you can't show a hand missing or anything like that but of course it does happen and so for the, the fans of the films and the older fans know that that's happened so the way I got around that was just by whenever there was a shot of Luke you know post losing his hand it was sort of hidden behind the, his body somewhere so you knew the the fans knew it, it had happened, but you weren't obviously subjecting that to the to the younger kids who might not be quite ready for that. Slick. So that was, but that came that was a choice that I made personally. Um, it, but in terms of anything actually getting rejected, the only one thing that um, um, springs to mind is from the newest book from Aliens, Creatures and Beasts, and the Ewok pages. So there's two pages of Ewok scenes. And there's the end celebration on Endor, and I had one of the, I had the um, the Ewoks that were playing the drums. 
ones on the Stormtroopers' helmets. Yeah. Because um, that's quite a fun moment. Um, but they, that's something that they actually said um, to remove. So, oh, yeah. The camera so I'm pretty, <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure the heads weren't still in the helmets, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. And other than that, they, you know, they've really been really awesome to work with. Yeah. And that, that wasn't a bad moment either. That was just something that they just said, oh, like, can we just get rid of that? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, of course. So, um, yeah. And it didn't so, soften that scene at all. That's still Gavin's favorite scene in the book. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Gavin. Yeah. Um, any new projects on the horizon that our listeners might want to check out? Uh, well, yeah, actually um, – um, I've been working on a series called Pixel Raiders in Australia with a couple of TV presenters here called um, Bajo and Hex, although their names are Stephen O'Donnell and um, Stephanie Bendixson. Um, and they're two gaming um, TV presenters here in, in Australia. And the Pixel Raiders is actually being released in the US um, in the end of this month, the first book. So I've just finished – or the, the fourth book in that series is just about to be released here – um, but you guys are about to get um, the very first book, which is called Dig World, and um, it's about two, yeah. So it's about two kids, a boy and a girl, and they get sort of sucked into this virtual reality world, and uh, they basically have to play their way out, really. So yeah, so that's that's been a really um, fun project to work on. They're, they're chapter books, so they're sort of eight to twelve year old readers, and. Um, Lots of illustrations, but not full-color illustrations like the Golden Books would be, but sort of black and white internal illustrations. Um, and they're really fun. So um, I've, I've really enjoyed working on those. So that's something to look out for. Okay, I'm definitely going to do it. He's over here like, I want this, Dad. This sounds like up my alley. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, other than that, um, that's, that's about my main focus at the moment. Nothing new from the Star Wars world as yet. Touch wood. I mean, hopefully there could be something around the corner, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I've done five books. I think that's a pretty good run. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. So, um, yeah, Pixel Raiders, check it out. I think and book two will be released in October, so they're they're going to bring them out fairly um, fairly quickly. So there'll be two this year, uh, another one for us this year. So. Well, thank you. And we'd like to extend a huge thank you, Chris, for taking your time out of your day and coming and sharing your book with us. We appreciate that very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks, Kevin. And our listeners, I'm sure they appreciate it too. And uh, Chris, we appreciate it so much, again, just for you taking your time on a personal level. We appreciate that. Is there anywhere you want us to tag you with it? Um, anything uh, like yeah, that? You can you can find me on Crikey Boy um, across most platforms, so Instagram, um, Twitter, um, Chris Kennett Illustration on Facebook, uh, or just chriskennett.com, which is where I sort of post some news and um, some little um, behind-the-scenes stuff as well and some projects. You'll find some Pixel Raider stuff there if you need to know find out more about that. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks, Chris. You have a great day. We'll talk to you some other time, hopefully. You too. All the best. Thanks all very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on. Gavin, for uh, coming down here and helping us out with that interview. Taylor, any last words uh, before we part ways with our listeners today? 
Um, nope. None at all. All right, well, with that, may the force be with you, and we will catch you on the flip side, wherever that may be. And until next time... Hopefully, I don't even remember. <laughs> Something wrong. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, something wrong. And so is uh, so. Until next time. Oh okay. So till next time. I'm sure everything will go horribly wrong. Possibly, possibly. Next, next time. Again? Next, next, next time. Because I will never get that fixed. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for coming on to the Padawan's Perspective. And I am also going to Disneyland soon. So if you guys look on the Instagram, I will keep you updated at Padawan's Perspective. Excellent. You heard it here first. Take care and may the force be with you. <laughs>